This morning, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Psalms, chapter 119. <clears throat> Psalms, chapter 119. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 119 in verse 11 is where I would like us to kind of start off this morning. <clears throat> And in Psalm chapter 119, verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity to be here, Lord. I thank you again for just the blessing of believers being here. And uh, Lord, I just pray our hearts are ready to receive and prepared. That, Lord, we would just uh, glorify you and lift up your uh, name and your word and praise. That, Lord, it is uh, the change that we need in our life. That, Lord, it is what we necessarily need for everything to eliminate the problems of sin, to eliminate the temptations, to eliminate those things, Lord, that we gravitate towards. Lord, I just pray that uh, as simple as the message is this morning, that, Lord, we would just have this desire to follow through. That, Lord, your word would be present in our heart. And that, Lord, we'd understand the intent and the meaning, the type and the symbol that we see here. Lord, again, I just pray you'd be with me in my voice. Lord, that you would just preserve it and long enough, Lord, so that we can uh, just hear from you hear your words, and be encouraged and edified that we may grow in you, that this time would please you and honor you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 11, it's a very familiar passage. If you've been uh, in a a church for for, um, any time, you've probably heard this message. Or not this message, this passage of Scripture. This verse. If you haven't, well, now you have. And I will say, it's a very powerful verse when you begin to realize what God's saying about it. He's saying that the presence of the Word of God in your heart, that is what you have hid in there, that is where you lay up your treasure, that is where you realize that the Word of God is more important than the things of the flesh, That is where you have set up, if you will, in your life a a throne and God is upon it. And with all of that being understood, we understand that the importance of the word of God being there is what keeps us from doing those things of sin. When you read the word of God, when you memorize the word of God, when you're meditating on the word of God, the importance of those things becomes very, 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 we're very well aware of that when we see how it affects our life. Here it says that it's going to help keep us from those sins. When we keep it, it keeps us away from those things that are contrary to God. It keeps us away from those things that are going to cause us To go against who our Savior is. It's going to keep us against those things that are going to harm that relationship with God. Harm relationships with others. 
It's going to keep us where we need to be in our Christian life. The psalmist realizes this. I mean, this whole chapter, as we've studied it uh, very recently, is all about the Word of God and how the Word of God has an impact and what it does in our life on a day-to-day basis. And the psalmist declares here in this passage that if he is if he is hiding it there, then it is something that is going to keep him from that sin. Now he does say here, I might not sin against thee. He, he wants to make sure that those things are there. Now look, we can have all the word of God. We can memorize as much as we want to memorize. We can read it all day long and still sin like the devil. Because it's not had an effect in our life. And this morning I want to talk about that direct effect the word of God has in our hearts. I want us to turn over to Psalms, or excuse me, not Psalms, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. In the beginning part of the book of Samuel, we see Samuel as a child being raised up. He comes a, a, a man of God. He gets in there. Uh, we also find that the, the state of the nation of Israel is, is uh, pretty poor. Uh, Eli is there as the high priest, and his, uh, his sons are... Are just wicked priests. Uh, Eli refuses to restrain his children, and I'll dare, I'll, I'll dare say that that's one key thing that, that as parents we need to understand. Uh, a lot of the condemnation that came upon Eli, even though he was trying to kind of do that, which was good, is he failed to restrain his children. And, and just as a, a, just so we understand, they were adults. They were adults. So he, he he didn't do that, and the end result is is that nation went into war and conflict with the Philistines. The Philistines came, and they had a bright idea of, well, we'll just go ahead and drag the Ark of the Covenant out there into the heat of the battle, and 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 if we just have that Ark of the Covenant there, then it's gonna it's gonna win the battle for us. Well, it didn't turn out that way. Israel suffered a massive defeat. Eli's children were killed. His sons were killed. When he receives that news, he falls over backwards and breaks his neck and dies. There's all sorts of things that are bad about it. But the Ark of the Covenant is taken. It goes into the land of the Philistines as the spoils of war. As the spoils of war. But I want us to see something unique about it. Now one thing that we know about the Ark of the Covenant is this. There was a, there was a whole list of rules about how it was to be carried and how it was to not be touched. Things of that nature. Doesn't say necessarily whether they realized that or not. I'm not sure if a bunch of Philistines came around and started, you know, playing with it and it messed up. What I don't, regardless of what happens, we find in 1 Samuel chapter 5, the Ark of the Covenant is in a certain place. In verse 1, it says, and the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer and Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon, and said it by Dagon. Now again, Dagon was their god. It's who they worshipped. And it says, And when they, they of Ashon arose early in the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of, of the Lord, 
And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they rose early on the morrow, uh, morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his palms were cut off from the threshold. Only the stump of him was left. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any come into Dagon's house tread upon the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. So here's an interesting thing that happened. They bring in the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in a false god's house, a temple. And needless to say, it doesn't go well for Dagon. Uh, Dagon has a really bad couple of days. But I want us to see something about this. You know, one of the key things that Paul talks about in, uh, in the, uh, in the, the Pauline epistles is keeping ourselves from idolatry. And while we understand idolatry and we think of things like Dagon and Baal and little Buddhas and whatever else it is people bow down and worship, we think of them as images and icons and uh, um, uh, graven, graven images, things that are carved, things that are made, things that are molten, things that are the work of others' hands. But one thing that we as Christians need to understand is this, is that idolatry is very different for the believer. We don't go about, you know, falling and bowing down before a little plastic Buddha. But what we do fall down and what we do worship sometimes is uh, what's in our life. I've seen men worship their career more than they worship God. I've seen parents worship family more than they worship the Lord. I've seen the idols of spouses put up on thrones in the heart only to see them fall. I've seen people put their children first before God. And let's be clear. An idol is anything that comes before God. An idol is anything that takes preeminence. An idol is anything that comes before and dictates in our life what will or will not be there. And many times, you know what happens? That idol is often ourselves. We will set ourselves up in that place. We will worship ourselves. We call it pride. We call it pride. Pride is not a good thing. As a matter of fact, we see throughout all of Scripture, pride is condemned. Pride is condemned. The proud look, the proud in heart, pride in general, all of it has a satanic, Luciferian mentality, has a thread that connects to it. But the the concept that we see with idolatry in a believer's life, we need to make sure that that idol does not exist. And sometimes we can't see that idol. Sometimes we can't find it. But one thing that is very true when we look at Psalms 119 verse 11, 
that there is a necessary a component of the Christian life of taking the word of God and hiding it in our hearts. Now, I like to think about that phrase just for a moment because when we think about hiding it in our hearts, we're not talking about hiding it so it's not hidden. We're talking about hiding it for the protection, for safety, for all of those things. But also at the same time, when we talk about hiding it, we're talking about placing the word of God in the secret areas of our heart. The secret areas of our heart. It reveals all sorts of things. It reveals where there's problems. It reveals where there's issues. You know, looking at what happens over here in, 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 in 1 Samuel chapter 5, it says, but the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them in Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod, and the coasts thereof. And it says here, as we, as we go further, it says, and when the men of Ashdod saw it was so, they said, the ark of God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us, and upon Dagon our God. And what do they do? They get rid of it. They try to get it out. And it says, they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of God be carried out about unto Gath. And they carried out the ark of God of Israel about thither. And it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both great and small, and they had emeralds in their secret parts. This might be a bit of an awkward conversation. When we start realizing what an emerald is, it's a hemorrhoid. God smote them with that. God smote them in their secret parts with that. Now, I'm not trying to get disgusting here this morning, but I want you to see something. God has an effect in every secret place. Especially when things are hidden in our heart. Now, I want to bring this to light here. And I want us to see the typology. We've talked about idols and we've talked about Dagon. And we've seen here that they were, that they knew that God was greater than their God Dagon. But I want you to look at what happens. With the Ark of the Covenant being there. We know what the Ark had in it. The other, the other name for the Ark of the Covenant was the Ark of Testimony. That testimony was talking about what God had done for him. In Psalm 119, he talks about the testimonies of this book and what this testimony does and how this testimony helps us and how this testimony leads us into the paths of righteousness and what happens when we choose to follow these testimonies. And I want to show you something here. Let's go ahead and take for a moment and picture this Ark of the Covenant, this Ark of the Testimony, as a type of the Word of God in our lives. When it is brought in to our life, it is going to have a very negative reaction 
with anything that is contrary to God. What do I mean by that? If you bring the word of God into your life, you bring it in to the point of where you're believing it, and you are trying to follow it, and you are obeying it, you know what happens? The idols in your life will begin to fall. The word of God has such a powerful effect in our lives. I mean, you take a back, look back over there when they went in and they said it in uh, the house of Dagon in verse two and verse three, they rose up early in the morning and what did they do? They found Dagon was flat on his face. Now I've heard a bunch of people talk about what they think Dagon looked like and whether he was a fish God, whether he wasn't a fish God or whatever else it was. Doesn't matter. Dagon's a God, a false God. Dagon was carved. He was made out of whatever he was made out of. And people are talking about how big it was and how it doesn't matter. The fact is, is they came in in the morning, you know what they found? They found that the Ark of the Covenant, if you will, the word of God, that that promise that was to Israel, the testimony of he would take care of them, the testimony of what he had already done for them, had an impact on Dagon, and Dagon fell flat. And when we start comparing the word of God to any idol that we put in our life, that idol will fall flat. It will fall flat. It does not have any impact in our life. I can only imagine these priests that come in to Dagon and they're walking in and they're walking in with their coffee in the morning and they go in and they, they open it up and they're like, oh, did you feel an earthquake last night? No, I didn't feel anything. Well, who moved Dagon? Why is he on the ground like that? And I'll tell you this. You know you have an idol in your life when you need somebody else to prop it up. You know you have an idol in your life when it takes somebody else to come in and lift it up. The Word of God does the lifting up in our life. The Word of God is the one that will lift the fallen in spirit, that will comfort the heavy-hearted, that will give peace to those that seek it. It has a profound effect in a Christian's life. Whereas, you know what that the God did? Dagon, as it lays there on the floor, it caused them more work. It caused them more work. You know, realize it takes more work to keep that God up than it does to just simply follow God. It says that the, the way of the transgressor is hard. But you know what we find about the, the word of God? Jesus Christ. Burden easy and light. But it's hard with sin. There may be pleasure in it for a season, but the consequences are not that great. The consequences are horrible. And they become often 
weighty burdens that are lived throughout the rest of a person's life. But what we find here is we find that this God, Dagon, required a lot of work to keep him up. What do they, they, they come in, they see him falling, and what do they do? They have to set him in his place again. They have to put it back up. And I'll tell you, when the Word of God comes in and it reveals that we've got an idol in our lives, sometimes that happens. That idol falls down and it demonstrates the power of God. And the problem is, is that we still are concerned about that idol and we go and we put it up in that place again. And we try to continue to worship it. But this is why it becomes important to understand the Word of God. Why it becomes critical to understand the typology of why he refers to it as a sword. Because look at what happens in the next verse. In verse 4, it says, When they rose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So he's down there again. But this time it's a little bit different. This time... It says the head of Dagon and both of the palms of his hands were cut off from the threshold and only the stump of him, the stump of Dagon was left to him. You know what God will do when the word of God comes into your life? It will slowly start to dismantle that idol that you've set up. It will take it apart piece by piece by piece by piece by piece. To the point of where the only thing that's left is a stump. A worthless stump. Here's this God that had been carved, that had been made in whatever shape it was. Now again, it's on the floor but in a very different sense, it had changed its appearance. It says very clearly that the hands and the head were cut off. Not broken off. It didn't fall to the ground and break. It was cut. It was cut. Now, again, we're not sure what type of material it was. If it's wood, you can obviously tell the difference when wood is broken and when wood is cut. If it was stone, you can tell the difference when wood is, or when stone is broken and when stone is cut. So you can imagine the horror of when they walked in. This wasn't they just fell down and we now we gotta go get the super glue and put it back together. This wasn't a matter of we got to piece this thing. This was a matter of a clear message from God. And I want to, I want to make sure we understand this concept. You know, sometimes we get things that we become so focused on that they become gods in our life. They're things that we were pursuing. They're things that we go after. And sometimes we can't see anything else. I mean, 
these guys came in, and the first time they come in, they see Dagon's fallen down. And they can't see that it was God that did something. They couldn't see that it was God that had done that work. And the second time they come in, they see very clearly that God did something. It was cut. Now, when we allow the Word of God to get into our life, as it says over there in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it is a sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Not soul and flesh, but soul and spirit. Meaning our, our will versus God's will. And that's where we set up our idols. We set it up in the, in the temple of will. We set it up in, in the area of our life that should be reserved for God's will. And we put it in there, and it's something that we so desperately pursue that we will begin to make excuses for it. We'll begin to prop it up again. And we won't realize that it is God that is showing us no. We won't realize that it is God that's saying that's not supposed to be there. We don't realize that it's God telling us that should not be part of our lives. Now, I will tell you this. To a degree, the Philistines were a very obtuse people. The things of God had a very different effect on them. You know what I would have liked to have seen? I'm sure God would have, would have been absolutely overjoyed to see that. Is if the Philistines looked at it and they said, there's something different about the God of Israel. He just killed our God. Maybe we should worship him. Maybe we should go give this back. Maybe we should restore Israel. Maybe we should follow their God. Maybe we should help them. But they didn't see that. They didn't see that. You know what they saw? We got to get rid of it. We got to get rid of it. And when, when, when God reveals to us there's an idol and he knocks it down. And then he goes one step further because we keep propping it back up and he decapitates the thing and cuts its hands off so it can't work anymore. That all that's left is just this, this useless stump. We sometimes do exactly what the Philistines do. We send away the wrong thing. Now I know the ark wasn't theirs. I understand that concept. But they wanted to get rid of the ark of God because of what they, what was happening. They didn't think about repenting. They didn't think about turning from their sin. They didn't think about saying, hey, maybe we should go after God. They didn't think anything about that. So the very first thing they decide is we need to get this as far away from us as possible. And that's often what happens 
When God takes and does something in our life, and the Word of God comes in and takes care of an idol that is in our life, knocks it down, cuts its hands and, and, and its head off, most of the time we look at it and we go, well, I don't, you know, that was my idol. That was my sacred cow. That's what, That was important to me, God. We do away with this. We won't let it affect us. But as God continues to go on with these individuals, and again, here he is working with the Philistines in this way, what does he get them to do? He, he gets them to a point of where they just, everywhere that this, that this works, it's destroying their lives. Now I want to say this, it was destroying their life of sin. The word of God has an effect. You go down through this and what happens here, it, it, it says this further in verse 6 where he says, the, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod and he destroyed them and smote them with emeralds. Man, he didn't even use like, you know, an army. He used something that was rather uncomfortable. Could you imagine being destroyed by that? I can't even begin to think about it. That the whole city is like, just, they're like, man alive, we need to get this thing out of here. But you know what God is saying here to us as believers? We look at that and you know what we should see? We should see a desire to follow the Lord. Because here he is going into the secret places. Here he is causing it to come out exactly that there's a problem that's there. There's a judgment that is proclaimed. There's an issue with their hearts. There's an issue with what's going on in their lives. Now look, I understand that the nation of Israel was was being judged at this point in time, and so were these individuals. <clears throat> and we, as we go down and we see even further, we see what happens in, in verse 10. It says, therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron, and it came to pass the ark of God came to Ekron. And the Ekronites cried out, saying, they have brought us the ark of God uh, of Israel to us to slay us and our people. So he sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of God of Israel. Let it go down again to his own place that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city and the hand of God was very great there. And the men that died not were smitten with the emeralds and the cry of the city went up into heaven. That's a pretty serious problem. It's a pretty serious problem. People are dying and they're uncomfortable. But I want us to realize that, that the effect that was there was what God had done with the nation of Israel, which was make a covenant, a promise. He made a promise with the nation of Israel saying, I will be your God. He made a covenant that he put down in writing. He made a covenant that, if you will, he signed his name to. He put down a covenant 
in a manner that he was attesting that he was not a man that he would lie. He was very specifically putting it down that this was the promise he would give to his people. And I dare say, when we look at this, we look at our lives, and sometimes those things of the idols become more important to us than the precious promises of God. And there's a lamentation that is made for a broken idol. And more of a cry is made for that than a cry unto God for that covenant. You realize he's made a covenant with us? If you go over to Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8, God's made a covenant with us. And he says here in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If you're a believer today, you understand the love of God. Where it says that God commendeth his love, he's demonstrating it, he's showing it to us. He made it manifest. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest act of love that has ever been, ever, ever been committed in this, in this earth's life is when Jesus Christ came and died on that cross for everyone. For the sins of the world. Where John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Sins of the world. And what do we find here? What do we find? We find that, that God makes it very clear about his love, what's going to separate us? Shall tribulation or distress? Persecution or famine? Or nakedness or peril or sword? It says, as it is written, for uh, thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted for sheep for the slaughter, nay, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Meaning you can have victory in Jesus Christ in your life. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what he just did? He covenanted that he will not separate from you. He covenanted that if you are trusting him as your Lord and Savior, he will not separate from you. There is nothing that can be done for that. Which is why we as believers need to have that covenant in our life. We need to have these words that are there to knock down the idols that raise up themselves. Or that we raise up. We need to cut their heads off and cut their hands off through the word of God. To make them ineffectual. 
to make them but stumps in our life that are worthless and with nothing more to be carried out with the garbage. Those idols should have no effect in our life. This is the promise that He's given to us. This is the promise that we have in the Christian's life. This is the promise that we as believers can have, and it should be one that we look at and say, I will not have any other idols. I will have no other gods before you. And there we find that that was the first commandment that was given. And here's this this Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony, that contained the Word of God itself inside it as well as the other provisions that God had done and the power and the demonstration of who he was, all contained within that ark. And it had an effect on that idol. I want to say this. The word of God is powerful. Over there in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says the word of God, it, 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 it is what? It's quick and it's powerful. It's powerful. And when we trust in something else, we are trusting in something else that has no power. Now, we'll show you one thing that they did get right, going back over to 1 Samuel chapter 5. What these individuals in Ashdod realized. <clears throat> when all the only thing that was left was a worthless stump of Dagon. What happened? They didn't go in. In verse 5 it says, Therefore neither the priests of Dagon's nor any uh, that come into Dagon's house tread upon the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. Why was that? Because Dagon was defeated. They didn't go back. They didn't go back. And I'll tell you this. When God takes out an idol in your life, don't go back to it. When God destroys it in your life, don't go back to it. Now I'll tell you, when we start realizing the idols that we put up, we need to be very careful what we put up there. Because God is a jealous God. And jealousy is not a sin. Envy is a sin. Jealousy is not. Why? Because it says that God is a jealous God. What does that mean? He doesn't want you worshiping any other God except Him. Why? Because you're not going to find a greater God than Him. You're not going to find a more loving God than Him. You're not going to find a more caring God than Him. You're not going to find a God that's more powerful than Him. You're not going to find a God that gives uh, greater provision and benefits than Him. You're not going to find any of that in this world. You're just going to find a bunch of stumps. 
You're going to find gods that are falling flat on their face. I'll give you an example. And today, right now, the religion of the world isn't Christianity. It isn't Islam. It's humanism. At the root of every single false religion that's out there is humanism at its core. She just puts on different clothes. And I will tell you this, you know what happens? When we, when that is exposed and revealed, it becomes clear who they're worshiping. They're worshiping themselves. They're lifting themselves up. It's all about me and who I am. And God says, that can't be. Those things that are out there in this world, those things that are contrary to God, those that we must make a name for ourselves found in Genesis chapter 10, the Tower of Babel, the things where the man became so wicked in his heart in Genesis chapter 6 that God destroyed it with a flood, the things where God has to make declarations, even as we'll see over in Ecclesiastes what Solomon says, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. We begin to realize There is no other God other than ours, than our Savior. And when we take these things and we put them there, we put them there at their own peril. We put them there at our own, at their peril. You see, if I take as an example and put my career as the God that I worship, What happens when it falls down and its head and its hands are cut off? I don't have a career. What happens if I put my daughters on the throne of my heart? And they fall down. I'm the one that put them there. What if I put my wife up there? What if I put my family up there? If I put them in front of God, they're in great peril. So I don't put them where they don't belong. I don't put them in front of God. Don't get me wrong. I love my wife. And I love my daughters. And I would willingly give my life for them. 
But my real love in this life is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he demonstrated the greatest act of love that has ever been demonstrated. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus Christ did that for me. And this book tells me all about that. It shows me His love to me. It shows me that God is love in 1 John. Meaning that very clearly, the definition of love itself is God. And without Him in it, there can be no real, true love. Only a similitude. That being said, I need this in my heart to keep all those things of idolatry clear. Because the more I put this in the secret places, the more places I hide this, the more places that this is inside my heart and in my life, the more I will please my Lord. The more I will stay away from the sin. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen where people put others in, uh, uh, on those pedestals and it has led them to a life of sin. Because they then begin to follow after the things that that idol says versus the things of God. You know, in the end here, the Philistines learned a valuable lesson. They learned a valuable lesson. They learned about who was more powerful. They learned about how weak their God really was. And I want to say this very clearly. When you begin to compare your God to what this book says, there should only be one God that is at the front of it. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at your life and you say, who am I following? What am I doing this for? What purpose am I even existing? If any other name other than Jesus Christ exists... We've got an idol. We've got a problem. We need this to root it out and get rid of it. So that we would follow this and we would love the Lord thy God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, with all our mind, and with all our strength. That he has all of us. Let's make sure there are no idols hidden in our life. Let's make sure that we're following the Word of God. Hide it in our heart so we will not sin against Him. Let's stand for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You again for this time and I thank You again, Lord, for what You've given to us in Your Word. Lord, I thank you for 
the very distinct and graphic image of what we have seen here, Lord, of what happens when we try to make two things exist together that shouldn't be. And Lord, I pray that as we as believers will continue to use the Word of God to guide and direct us, to light our paths, that, Lord, we will hide it in our hearts that we would not sin, that there would be no idols, there would be nothing lifted up before you, that, Lord, none of those things would be in peril. There's such great gifts that you give us. But, Lord, let's not look more at the gift than who gave it to us. I thank you again, Lord, for all that you teach us. And I pray, Lord, that these things would be hidden in our heart. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.